Um, I'm joined by Dr. Loretta Sanders as part of our mental health conversations. Dr. Loretta Sanders is a pillar in her community. She's a pastor, multi-award-winning leader, certified counselor and life coach who is passionate about helping others utilize their gifts. With uh, advanced degrees in education, theology and counseling, Dr. Loretta Sanders works to empower, uplift and encourage those around her. She has decades of diverse experiences in education, counseling and educational uh, leadership. Most recently, she served as the Dean of Theology at the North Carolina Bible Institute in the U.S. Her passion and commitment to serving others has allowed her to share her talents across international borders. Her most recent projects have been in community development in Accra, Ghana. When she's not in the boardroom, Dr. Loretta can be found what she loves the most helping those in need. She offers both personal and marital counseling, as well as business and life coaching sessions. She's passionate about encouraging others to use their strengths and talents to transform their lives. In her free time, she enjoys spending time with her family, listening to music and writing books. Well, firstly, thank you so much for taking out time from your busy schedule to join us for these um, conversations. We will start off um, from asking about your childhood experiences of mental health. What's the earliest um, childhood memory that you recall that is related to mental health? Well, first, before I get started, I first would like to thank you for having me and allowing me this opportunity to speak with you today, as well as your audience. Um, if I can say my nearest memory with um, mental health probably was early on. Um, I had relative that suffered with mental illness. So I experienced, I had an opportunity to experience and see it in action. Um, but back then, I'm a little older. So back then it wasn't necessarily called mental illness. You know, back then it was, you know, they're special or they're a little off, but it really was not a focus, was not on mental illness. Thank you so much um, for sharing that with us. Um, and I would like to ask you, were there other, from, from the early uh, memory, were there other incidences as you were growing up that helped you sort of take you on, on the path of mental wellness and sort of helping you to build your early understanding of what mental health was and what mental wellness was? Um, I think... One of the key factors that um, started me down the pathway of understanding mental health was um, dealing with mental health, again, as I said, within my family. Um, we have quite a few family members that suffer with depression, anxiety. And so there was it was a commonality as an adult to see it regularly. So in that, in dealing with them, and learning how to deal with them is how I really began to understand and start to work with mental health and mental illnesses. It's just being able to function in a day-to-day -day environment. Um, I had a family member, for example, that would always be loud and very hostile. So in order to communicate, I would always talk very low and soft. So she would always get mad at me because I wasn't giving her that energy back. But 
that was a coping mechanism. And it was a way that I learned how to deal with people who were sometimes in, in crisis, who were very excited um, to bring them down to a level where you could talk to them and where you could actually go um, have a conversation with them. And then um, that was just kind of growing up. And then later on as an adult, as, as a pastor, when COVID happened, um, here in, we were in a different situation where we were actually literally, um, we could not move about. You know, we were actually locked in the house. You know, we had to stay in. And so in that period, I seen people who were functioning depressant. Now their level of anxiety, their level of depression, everything was escalated 100%. So that was the moment I said, okay, I really need to get some real serious training and some real serious tools on how to deal with people in crisis um, when it comes to dealing with mental health. And so that's kind of how I started my pathway down to mental health and, and why I am working with mental health today. Thank you so much for sharing that valuable insight. So, um, tell us a little bit more about this training um, in sort of the impact that it had on you personally. Um, and then later on, how you were able to use those skills to serve uh, your immediate community and, you know, the wider community as well. So for me, what I did is I got my doctorate degree in counseling. That was the first thing that I finished. I finished my doctorate degree in Christian counseling. Um, and following that, I then went on to become a licensed NLP coach. Um, I realized that therapy without a plan of action to the next level, to the next point was more my thing. Like I'm that one person that you want to call. If you want to make it happen and you want to get it done, Call Loretta, I'm going to cheer you on and I'm going to help encourage you to get you there. Um, so I also went through that. I'm mental health first aid certified as well. I went through that training as well. And again, that all stems back to being around people in crisis mode. And that first, you know, that first hour, those first few moments are important to kind of gather them down and try to bring the situation down as quickly as possible. So um I also did the mental health first aid as well. So I have a degree in counseling. I am a certified NLP coach, and I'm also a first aid, um, also a certified in mental health first aid. So that was the training um, that I that I took. And it helps me in a sense that with my clientele and the people that I work with, um, they typically come to me because my my counsel, my counseling or or my coaching is outcome-based, you know, okay, where do you want to get to and what do you want to do? So working with them all combined together between the counseling, the coaching, the, the mental health first aid, and between all of those tools, um, I've been able to successfully get people to the point to where I had one young lady who was having difficulty writing a book. So, you know, we were able to get her to the point where she was okay with going ahead and finishing her book. Um, so it just it just varies. Um, so basically, um, all the training and everything I have have brought me to the point to where I can help people transform their lives. And I'm seeing that in my everyday to day counseling with with different women. Sure. I mean, it just sounds so valuable that the work that you're doing you know, you really invested in this with the training that you've undertaken. 
as both a person and a professional journey um, and the impact that you're having upon others. And this is something that we would like to uh, to hear more about. Uh, but before we dig into that, I want to ask you, um, if you look back at your childhood experiences uh, where you observed, you know, the family members that were going through, say, moments of crisis or, you know, on their mental health journey, I want to ask you about society's attitude then and now. What would be your perspective on that? Well, the biggest thing from back then, um, I'm an African-American. So for us, when somebody was in mental health, whether they were depressed, no, you know, they, you know, it was simply you go to church, pray about it. God will fix it. And that was the answer for it. Um, there was a stigmatism for going to seek for mental health or, or to get mental health assistance or counseling. There was that thing that if you did that, you were crazy and nobody wanted to be crazy. And so the the cure was fix it, pray about it, fix it, God will fix it. Um, versus today, people are more going to counseling. You hear more people who are um, part of the African-American community as well as part of the larger Christian community saying, hey, you need to go to counseling. It's okay to go to counseling. It doesn't mean you don't love God if you don't go to counseling. So the shift has been more so when we was when we were children, it was more a stigmatism, you know, don't go, you know, it it it, it crushed your faith if you didn't go. Versus now it's like, no, you need to go so that you can be healed and you can be delivered and, and you can have your mind right so that you can do everything that you're setting out to be. So the difference is coach is counseling is okay now versus in the past where it was not. Um, I'm really glad that you sort of mentioned that and, you know, the sort of transition in terms of the attitudes, the perceptions. Um, one thing I would like well, from a faith, faith-based perspective, and I'm sure you can, you know, um, shine some insights into this from a Christian perspective, is A, we have the faith-based perspective, which is sort of, as you just sort of mentioned, it's kind of encouraging. B, you have... The, you know, I, I would say, suppose the socio-cultural, ethnic, ethnicity, sort of, you know, the geographical location kind of perspective that aligns with the culture of the time and age of, mm-hmm. of the society. So taking, separating the faith base from that, what does, um, you know, from your experience, what does a Christian faith, um, say about mental well-being and in terms of getting help for mental illness and what what are the faith-based strategies it's a very uh broad question i've asked i've asked a lot in this question so please yeah please you know dig deep into this because this is something that's very interesting you know to explore so as i said before previously um it was you know if you went to counseling, you questioned, it was about your question and faith in God. Like you didn't believe in God if you went to counseling or um, you didn't believe that God could could do something if you went to counseling. But now as we have shifted to today, you have the Christian community saying, okay, in order for you to carry out what God has for you, you need to be complete and whole. You need to have your mind. You need to um, your, your mind needs to be just as healthy. You go to the doctor for every other part of your body. Go to the doctor for your mind as well. 
Um, a lot of generational curses are, are being passed down from one generation to the other. Um, and those vary from form to form. And when we say generational curses, we, we typically mean the behaviors that your mama did that were not so positive. You know, grandma did it. Your great grandma did it. Your mother did it. And now you're doing the same thing. Or if you have like a family may have a history of molestation. Grandma was molested. Mother was molested. Then then here you come down down the line and here the, the child is molested. And, and these issues never get dealt with properly. And so it just kind of carries on. So when we're looking at a faith base, and, and I can't speak for every Christian organization, and, and I dare will not, I will just simply say that it's a matter of now saying that in order for you to walk in your calling, in order for you to fulfill your promises, it is also important that your mental health be sound, that your mental health be stable, that you you heal from, you want to go into marriages, but you want to be healed from past hurts and and past things that you've gone through. Now, you still pray. It's not like you stop praying and the doctor hears all, does all, and he's a cure-all. No, you continue to pray. You continue to walk by faith. But at the same time, you have those open conversations and those dialogues with a therapist or with a, with, or with a coach or, or someone who is able to help get you past that moment of hurt onto your destiny and your, your moments of glory. Um, I'm really, really grateful for, for these insights, uh, Dr. Loretta, because you've not shied away uh, from the honest perspective. You've not shied away from, uh, you know, stating things and situations as they are, which is so important to have these honest conversations to, you know, move forward and to really make an impact. Now, you talked about this cyclic, you know, uh, you touched on, on, on quite a few few issues about this cyclic sort of the cycle of mental health and possibly the cycle of um, regression, mental regression in mental health. Now, could you possibly um, advise, you know, how did you deal with that per, in a personal capacity or a professional capacity? If you can possibly share an example of that to kind of break that cycle, because like you said, you know, unless that that post from the grandmother to the mother daughter, you know, unless that cycle, it, it will just keep repeating itself. So, how do we get that to? How do we get? That, how do we get to heal that? You know, in in the context of mental well being. So, the and, and this has my been my platform lately. I changed my mind. Um, and it sounds. I know it sounds like it sounds really simple, but it, it sounds, you know, it sounds a little strange for me to say that, but it really is that simple. I changed my mind. I changed the way I was thinking. I changed my environment. I learned um, the, the why I was feeling the way I was feeling. I, I read articles. I Googled. I whatever it, it took in order to change my mind. Um, those were the things that I did. Um, and again, the mental health piece, uh, mental health is uh, going to a counselor or a therapist is, is, is not always easy for people to do, especially if you got to pay for it out of pocket. It's very expensive. 
And when you think about it, it it's either you pay for this therapy or you pay for food. So um, you really, so for me, it came down to changing my mind, learning more about myself, learning more about my feelings. Why was I feeling these ways? And from there, I worked through it and to it. Now, and even in my own counseling, excuse me, in my own counseling degree, in my coaching um, training certification and mental health first aid, I had to identify myself in some of those areas. And I also had to address myself as I was training and preparing to go forward. Um, you, you can't fix others or you can't help others if you yourself is not your best self. So I use my, in my training and in developing my training, when I seen areas that made me go, hmm, maybe I need to look at that. Um, about myself, I also use my own personal learning to also better myself in other areas of my life. But I never stopped praying. I don't, I don't want to say that it was just, a, I never stopped praying. I, I still have my faith and I still trust and believe. But I got, the, there's a scriptural text that says, and all things get understanding. And that's what I did. I got understanding of the things that was blocking me and holding me back. And that's how I dealt with my um, personal situation and in, in, in my personal life. Um, it's beautiful and very empowering what you just shared. And I'm sure it gives hope and uh, motivation to many others out there. Now, you touched upon COVID, you know, um, in terms of you, you, when, we, when we're having a conversation that suddenly COVID hit. Mm-hmm. Um, how did perspectives around well-being change during COVID? And we're still actually in the aftermath of COVID right now. You know, we've still not come out of it fully. How do you think this this sort of, I would say, this era, this deep geist of COVID, how has that impacted our understanding of mental health, mental well-being, and, you know, and the perspectives around it? I'm sorry, the first part of your question was not clear. Can you say it again? Um, so you talked about, you know, um, COVID, uh, you know, sort of uh, when we were discussing the mental well-being, you know, it sort of impacted and you were talking about your own practice as well. And then you talked about COVID just suddenly as it as it came suddenly, you know, as it. How do you think this era of COVID, you know, uh, because this is, uh, I would say, an anomaly in time, you know, We've not experienced anything like the COVID-19 times, you know. How has that shifted perspectives about mental health and mental well-being? I definitely think COVID shed a light on it and people started to see that they really needed mental health, um, that they needed therapy, that counseling was needful and necessary. I, I think COVID kind of shed a light on a dark space that was hidden. Um, once everybody was locked in the house with just themselves, it kind of exposed everybody's inner self to themselves. Um, and I think COVID, now and coming out of COVID, um, I think people are now looking at ways to better themselves. Um, like, you know, you have the great resignation going on right now. 
where people are saying, no, 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 this job is stressing me out. I'm not doing it anymore. That means people are considering their mental health and they're saying, no, I'm not going to let you stress me. I'm not going to let you um, destroy my thinking. I'm not going to let you take away the time that I'm going to spend with my children that will make them better citizens. I'm just not going to allow you to do that anymore. So I think COVID definitely made people more cognitive and more aware of, of their own mental health and the impact that the environment has on their mental health. Um, I completely agree. Do you think that a, a part of that could be because it made people stop and it made them think and it made them reflect? I certainly believe that part of it was that people had to stop. It made them reflect. Um, and not just reflecting on themselves because people were separated from their family members and loved ones. And when you have, um, like, for example, we were like here, we were here in, in the Emirates. And when you have family members during COVID, when everybody, all the flights were and everything was locked down and you have family members um, that were passing away in home countries, we couldn't get there. Like no one, there was no flights, no one could move. And so at that moment, it made people also think about relationships, the type of relationships that they have with family members and how those relationships was or is impacting them, whether positively or negatively. You know, grandma plays a role what, either way. So, so just in that season of COVID, when people uh, couldn't get to, to, to their relatives, or when people were locked in looking at themselves or, or even husband and wives looking at each other, you know, they're locked in the house and now they have to deal with each other. Um, even that put strains on a lot of marriage. You know, the divorce rate shot up after, you know, after COVID because people were looking at each other and actually reflecting on one another. And we were really seeing ourselves for once we were actually seeing ourselves. Um, that's really interesting. And, you know, thank you so much for the analysis for, of that. And, you know, it's, it's it's a very valuable insight to sort of explore that because this is something that we're still experiencing, you know, uh, going through that COVID era. I just want to link that to possibly a faith-based perspective now. So in terms of reflection, you know, because this is something that we touched upon that people mm -hmm. did sort of stop at a moment in time in their lives, they reflected, how does self-reflection in your perspective link to, to faith, uh, possibly from the Christian faith? How important is it to reflect? It, as in the Christian faith, it's, it's required of us to literally reflect daily. Um, you, you should be reflecting often and daily. Um, but I think what happened during COVID is people, um, I don't know, I don't know if it was faith or mortality. You know, people, we were looking death in the face and you didn't know if death was going to knock at your door or your neighbor's door. You, you just didn't know where it was coming, if it was coming and how it was coming. So that's where you had to, to raise your faith, if you will is to trust and believe that in the midst of it all, that you're going to be safe, that you're not going to be sick. Um, this is where the faith was elevated when, when we were, you know, we're here and there and family members and friends are elsewhere. And you have to have faith to believe that they're going to be okay, that they're not going to, to get sick and they won't perish to, to this thing that no one can see. So the 
faith came in, like for those first few weeks of, of, of COVID, like every, all the churches, every internet church was, was glued. People were glued to it. They were faithfully attending, you know, and so everybody's faith was on the rise. But then once things started to get back to normal, I'm not sure if everybody really continued on in their faith. That's that's a very interesting angle to look at, um, you know, in terms of circumstances. You sort of said, you know, um, it was also the circumstances surrounding, um, you know, COVID. So um, would, would you agree with this then that, you know, our mental health it is dependent on intrinsic, internal environment of how we feel, what our outlooks are, um, possible balances or imbalances within ourselves, but external factors also are incredibly important uh, in terms of having an impact on a mental health of communities. Um, I mean, what's your experience as a pastor from seeing that? So I think we do have to have a certain level of um, from our mental health, I, th I think it does come from the inside. Recently, I did a, a Wisdom Wednesday and it was literally the sky is always the sky, but the weather constantly changes. What comes from it constantly changes. And, and I said that to say from a faith base or from a natural world uh, perspective, you're always going to be who you are. Your situations will change, but you are who you are. And how you deal with those situations um, and comes from you internally. Um, so externally, external things will always happen. External things will always change. But I think the larger part of our mental health comes from ourselves and how we view ourselves, um, what we think of ourselves, our upbringing, our own personal intrinsic um, belief system dictates how we operate uh, on, on our mental health as it pertains to life in the world and in the environment around us. Thank you. Thank you very much for this, Dr. Loretta. Um, you know, you're talking about sort of self-empowerment. You're talking about, you know, focus on the self, which is, which is crucial, I suppose, when we're looking at individual mental health perspectives. Uh, now, my last question to you would be, how do you think in global communities, how can we improve wellness overall? I know it's a very broad and a very bold question, but, but what do you think? What steps can we take within our global communities to improve mental wellness? I think one of the things that we can include first, that we can improve, excuse me, one of the ways that we can improve is, is first to, um, from early age, start letting children and letting people know that it's okay to be yourself. Uh, we, are, we, we start early on telling children um, who we desire and what we desire for them to be. If people, if you teach coping skills, coping mechanisms, how do you deal with failure? How do you deal with people who um, you don't necessarily get along with? You know, cut them off is not always the answer when that person is your boss 
or a coworker that you have to to work with and engage with engage with. So I think first we start with knowing our, ourselves. You know, helping children develop and know know themselves. And as adults, we we let it know and let it be okay to have mental health issues. But I want to be cautious when I say this because I don't want it to be to the point that it's worn, especially in a faith-based community, that it is worn as a badge of honor. Um, that's not your identity. Um, you can have depression, but depression doesn't necessarily have to have you. Um, you can have anxiety, but anxiety doesn't necessarily have to have you. And I'm speaking this from a faith-based perspective. Um, and all of this comes from understanding from a faith-based perspective of understanding whose you are, what you are, and what you were created to be. And that's a growth and development process. I'll be the first to admit that. But knowing that part. So as far as a faith base, that's what I would say is as far as faith. Um, for community as a world, as a whole, I think if, if we just, again, if we just embrace each other for who we are and love each other um, as we are, I think that would do a lot for our mental health. We have a lot of, we spend, we see if a lot of hate and a lot of um, negative things being said on social medias and in other places, but we need to allow our love to outshine and overflow the hate. And I think that in itself will help better improve relationship, which in turn will also improve our mental health with one another.